Well, have you ever been wandering through the shops or the mall or something and something catches your eye? Maybe it's on special or maybe it's something that you've been thinking of buying for a while and you wander over to it and you admire it and then you see the price tag and you wonder, is it worth it? Is it worth it? Now, this morning we're going to be thinking about that question when it comes to following Jesus. Is it worth it? Because the Bible says that following Jesus will bring trouble. It'll bring tension into your family. It will mean losing some friends. And it will mean that some people hate you. And so we're going to think, is it worth it? We're back in the book of 1 Samuel this morning. We're in 1 Samuel 20. And in this chapter, Jonathan takes sides with David. David is the Lord's anointed. He's the one who's going to be king. And we're going to see that that gets Jonathan into a lot of trouble. Is it worth it? To side with the person who God has chosen to be the future king. And we're going to see, yes, it is worth it. Because of who David is. And for us, because of who Jesus is, no matter what the cost. So firstly, let's think about how it is here that Jonathan takes sides with David. The passage starts, did you notice, 1 Samuel 20, with David coming and asking Jonathan, who is Saul's son, Saul's the current king, starts with David asking Jonathan to help. Now, if you remember back to last week, David is the one God has chosen to be king, but he's not king yet. And last week in chapter 19, jealous Saul was trying to kill David. Four times we saw that he was trying to kill David, but it didn't work because God had things under his control. God was protecting David. Now here, as we start chapter 20, David is still on the run and he comes to Jonathan and asks for help. Verse 1, then David fled. That's what David was doing all last week. He was on the run. He fled from Naoth at Ramah and went to Jonathan and asked, What have I done? What is my crime? How have I wronged your father that he's trying to take my life? Now, it seems that Jonathan doesn't get it still. He has a fairly positive view of his father Saul. Did you notice that verse 2? Never, Jonathan replied. You're not going to die. Look, my father doesn't do anything, great or small, without confiding in me. Why should he hide this from me? It is not so. Anyway, after a bit of discussion, Jonathan agrees to help David by putting Saul to the test. See, there's a banquet coming, and you would have noticed that in the reading. A really important banquet. Verse 5, David said, look, tomorrow is the new moon festival. And I am supposed to dine with the king. But let me go and hide in the field until the evening of the day after tomorrow. So the plan is that David will not go to this banquet. And he wants to see if Saul will get angry about it. This is like when someone in your family doesn't turn up to Christmas lunch when everyone's expecting them. Now, if you really love them, 
You'll understand, okay? You'll know that if they didn't come to Christmas dinner, there must have been something real important. You'll see the positive because they wouldn't miss this from the world. You won't be angry at them. But if there's tension in the family and someone misses Christmas lunch, it is World War III. Everyone assumes the worst and the gloves are off, aren't they? It's kind of that test here to see if Saul loves David. How will Saul respond when David misses the feast? Verse 6. If your father misses me at all, tell him, David earnestly asked my permission to hurry to Bethlehem, his hometown, because an annual sacrifice is being made there for his whole clan. If he, Saul, says, very well, then your servant is safe. But if he loses his temper, you can be sure that he is determined to harm me. So that's the test. Whose sake is this test for? Think about that. It's not for David's sake. It's not to see if David can find out if Saul loves him. No, David already knows that Saul hates him. This test is for Jonathan's sake. David wants Jonathan to see how much that Saul hates David. Well, Jonathan agrees to help. But it's going to be a tough test for Jonathan because once Jonathan sees how much Saul hates David, Jonathan will need to take sides. He'll need to choose between David, God's anointed king, and Saul, his own father, the current king. Well, let's read on. We don't get to the test. In verse 11, there's quite a dramatic change that happens because so far this whole conversation has gone on inside Jonathan's palace. Verse 11, they step outside. Did you notice that? Verse 11, come, Jonathan said, let's go out into the field. So they went there together. Now, outside, everything changes. Inside, it was David asking for Jonathan's help, but now it is Jonathan asking for David's help. Now, I assume that's because inside the palace, Jonathan couldn't really speak about what was on his heart. He didn't want to be overheard. There's a lot of secrecy as we read on, all the arrows and the secret messages. There's a real danger here. But now that Jonathan is outside, away from prying ears, he can speak freely. And so now it is Jonathan who asks David for help. Verse 13. But if my father is inclined to harm you, David, may the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if I do not let you know and send you away safely. May the Lord be with you, as he has been with my father. But show me unfailing kindness. And that's exactly the word for mercy that um, David asked of Jonathan a few verses earlier. Show me unfailing kindness like that of the Lord as long as I live, so that I may not be killed. And do not ever cut off your kindness from my family, not even when the Lord has cut off every one of David's enemies from the face of the earth. Now, that is a remarkable insight from Jonathan into who David is, especially when you realise that David is here to point forward to Jesus. Because, do you see, firstly, Jonathan is seeing David as the future king, and he knows that God will be with David just like he was with Saul. 13, may the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. 
And Jonathan sees that one day his life will be in David's hands. 14, show me unfailing kindness like that of the Lord as long as I live so that I may not be killed. And then in 15, Jonathan wants David to show kindness to his whole family, which actually David will do um, to his lame uh, offspring in, in future chapters. We'll get to that later. Jonathan sees David clearly for who he is. David is God's anointed. One day he will be king. And so Jonathan sides with David. Jonathan makes decisions now that will put him in danger, but it is based on the fact that David will be God's future king. And no matter what Saul's reaction is, no matter how bad things get for Jonathan now, Jonathan wants to be on the right side of David because he knows David will be more powerful than Saul because that's the promise God has made. Now, there will be a cost in all that for Jonathan, a big cost, because let's see what happens at the feast. Day two of the feast arrives. David's still not there. Verse 27. The next day, the second day of the month, David's place was empty again. Then Saul said to his son, Jonathan, why hasn't the son of Jesse come to the meal, either yesterday or today? Jonathan answered, David earnestly asked me for permission to go to Bethlehem. He said, let me go because our family is observing a sacrifice in the town and my brother has ordered me to be there. If I, ha- if I have found favour in your eyes, let me go to see my brothers. And then Jonathan says, that is why he has not come to the king's table. I wonder what Saul's reaction will be. Well, it couldn't be worse. Saul goes absolutely ballistic. He blows up. And he's not just angry at David, he's angry at Jonathan for siding with David. Verse 30, Saul's anger flared up at Jonathan. And he said to him, you son of a perverse and rebellious woman, don't I know that you have sided with the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of the mother who bore you? Now, that is a very crude statement in the end of verse 30. The NIV is the G-rated version. None of the translations actually get the meaning of what it really is. I won't say it here. It is school holidays. But what Saul says, it is foul. And the point is that Saul has lost it. There's something almost over the top about his hatred for Jonathan. And isn't that true of the way that people can respond to followers of God's anointed Jesus? The over the top crude remarks or sarcastic comments or responses that are way out of proportion. I don't expect to be loved and congratulated when I let people know that I'm a minister or a follower of Jesus, but sometimes you get hatred for it. I mean, a few years ago in Dubbo, when we lodged that objection to the adult shop next door, we had a used condom hung on our car aerial, and we had a poo posted in our mailbox. That's just weird. It's a bit out of proportion, isn't it? When I first decided to go to Bible college, my dad said he would never talk to me again. 
He lasted six months. He didn't speak to me for six months. A couple of weeks ago, the media were reporting about how the Anglican Church was banning all the yoga classes in their halls. Now, at one level, it was just bad reporting because they got the story completely wrong. Okay, don't ever believe what you hear on TV about Christians. But you should have seen the way that the story was reported. On sunrise, they hooked in. There was these three people, and they were just hooking in to the Anglican Church. They were making fun of God. They were taunting Christians. They were sarcastic. It was like a bunch of year eight boys in the playground. Now, if they were saying that of any other group, if they were talking with such hatred and such baited speech about Islam or Buddhism or anything, there would have been an outcry. But people just accept, don't they, that Christians will be paid out. You don't stick up for a Christian. They deserve everything they get. That is the cost of siding with Jesus. Here, Jonathan sides with David, God's anointed, God's future king. But that's just not the only consequence of Jonathan choosing to side with David, a few bad words from his father, no. Have a look at verse 31. It gets worse. Verse 31, this is Saul talking. As long as the son of Jesse, that's David, lives on this earth, neither you, Jonathan, nor your kingdom will be established. Now send and bring him to me, for he must die. If David is going to be the next king, Saul is saying, Jonathan can't be. Now that is true of us in a sense, if we follow Jesus. We can't be king over our own life. Becoming a follower of Jesus means giving up control of your life and letting Jesus take control. Jesus needs to be king. But here it is talking about more than just that. Jonathan was in line to be the actual king of Israel. His father Saul was the current king. If David is going to be king and if Jonathan sides with David, it means for David to give up his throne. He won't be the next king. And we've already seen in the previous chapter and the one before where Jonathan took off his robe and his belt and gave it to David that Jonathan is prepared even to sacrifice his kingship. And that's not all Jonathan is willing to sacrifice because when Jonathan continues to speak out for David, his very life is in danger. Saul tries to kill him. Verse 32. This is Jonathan speaking to Saul. Why should David be put to death? What has he done? Jonathan asked his father. But Saul hurled his spear at him to kill him. Then Jonathan knew that his father intended to kill David. What has Jonathan gained from siding with David here? His father's angry, he's lost his throne, and now his own father is trying to kill him. I don't know if there's anyone here whose parents have tried to kill them when they became a follower of Jesus. There's no one that I know of. Although it does happen in other countries. And I know for some of you, you have friends or even family or people who you are praying for who are overseas and that kind of thing is a daily threat for them. And yet I know some of you here in Australia right now who do have opposition from your family, even if your life is not under threat, here it is hard because you follow Jesus. 
That's what you get when you follow the Lord's anointed. And Jonathan here is prepared for that. He doesn't care what he goes through for David. And we see that most clearly in verse 34, which is a wonderful verse. I want to read verse 34 and see if you can notice what it is that in all of this situation, Jonathan is angry about. What is Jonathan angry about? Have a look. Verse 34. Jonathan got up from the table in fierce anger. On that second day of the month, he did not eat because he was grieved at his father's shameful treatment of David. Isn't that remarkable? David is grieved at his father's shameful treatment of David. Jonathan's not upset that his father yelled at him. Jonathan's not upset that his father hates him. He's not upset that his father tried to kill him. Jonathan is upset for David. The Lord's anointed. Jonathan is grieved at his father's shameful treatment of David. Jonathan is more worried about what people think of David than what people think of him. He values David above everything else. What a great lesson for us as followers of Jesus. I mean, at this point, Jonathan reminds me exactly of Paul's attitude to Jesus. Listen, I just want to read from Philippians 3. Paul says, What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus as my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ. It's not hard to see the lesson for us coming out of 1 Samuel 20, is it? If you choose to side with God's anointed, if you choose to follow Jesus, you are choosing opposition. But it's worth it. Because as we saw last week, God is in control. God is working in all things for the good of those who love him. And as we stand up for Jesus and as we talk to people about Jesus... Some people will see Jesus for who he is. Some people will see that Jesus is God's king. Some people will come to Jesus and beg him for kindness and forgiveness. Some people will want to be on the right side of Jesus, like Jonathan wanted to be on the right side of David here. But yet that's not the most common response that we should expect, is it? The Bible warns us to expect opposition so that we won't give up when the first person rejects us, so that we won't be ashamed to take a stand for Jesus. Philippians 1.29, For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him. Matthew 10.22, All men will hate you because of me. John 15, 18, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. 2 Timothy 3, 12, in fact, everyone, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Now, they are very strong verses, but that is the message 
that the Bible gives us. If you are going to follow Jesus, don't expect it to be easy. Don't expect everyone to applaud you for it. When you invite people at work to church, don't expect them to give you a pat on the back. When you talk to your family about Jesus, don't expect them to love you for it. When you invite someone to read the Bible with you, those nine words, will you read the Bible with me, not everyone will say yes. Some people will respond, and that's why we keep talking about Jesus, but some people will hate you for it. So how are you going with that? Do your friends know that you're a follower of Jesus? That's a good start, isn't it? Do your friends know that you're a Christian? Are you looking for opportunities to share your life and the gospel with the people around you? Or has it become just too comfortable to keep it to yourself? Or if I can have a word to the blokes about the, our men's night. How many people have you invited? Or maybe this is the more important question. If you haven't invited people, is it because you're embarrassed about Jesus? You don't need to be. If you haven't invited people, is it because you're afraid that you might lose a good friend? Who cares? Of course you're going to lose some friends. If you haven't invited people, is it because you're afraid of what people might think of you? Don't be worried about that. Be grieved about what they think about Jesus. Pray that they'll come to see Jesus for who he is. The world hated Jesus, and if you follow Jesus, the world will hate you too. And I think that in Australia, this is not going to get any easier in the coming years because we're starting to see the tide change, aren't we? We're starting to see, I think, more opposition to Jesus in schools, in the same-sex marriage debate and so on. Being able to freely express your beliefs as a Christian is only going to get harder. But there's no other option, is there? Following Jesus is worth it. When you realise who Jesus is, the one who God is working everything to, to bring everything under his submission, when you realise what Jesus gave up for you, when you realise that Jesus has your eternal future in his hands, there's nothing that you wouldn't give up for him. And it's worth it. It is worth it. I was reading a book about how in America they had a school careers day at a school and the defence forces came to talk to the kids about job options in the armed forces. The army guy went first. He went on and on and on about how great the army was. The, the, the navy guy went next. He didn't want to be outdone. He went overtime as well, on and on and on. So the third guy, the poor old Marine Corps guy, he's watching the time tick away, and by the time he got up to speak, he only had two minutes left. How can you convince kids to join the Marine Corps in two minutes? Well, he got up, and he stood there for a minute in complete silence, just eyeballing the room. 
And then he said, I doubt whether there are two or three of you in this room who could cut it as Marines. I want to see those three as soon as this assembly is dismissed. And he was mobbed. (laughs) Now that's the way Jesus spoke. Jesus didn't need to sell Christianity. He told people the cost. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up the cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will find it. There will be opposition. There will be hatred. But it is worth it. When Jonathan realised who David was, he was willing to give up everything for David. And when we realise who Jesus is, we will do the same. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that before the world was even created, you had a plan that he would come into this world, your one and only son, and he would give his life for us on the cross so that we could be forgiven. And Father, thank you that that plan did not just include his death, but his resurrection, where you raised him from the dead and you defeated Satan. And Father, thank you that one day Jesus will return again. And all those people who are waiting for him, dead or alive, even all the Christians over time who have been martyred for their faith, will be in a new creation with him. And Father, help us not to be ever ashamed to put up our hand and say that we follow him. Father, help us to be more concerned about what people think of Jesus than ourselves. Father, by your spirit, help us to see how wonderful Jesus is, that we might give our lives to serve him. Amen.